Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. So today we're going to talk about prayer as an, and as we continue our Book of Common Prayer uh, season, our season of looking at the Book of Common Prayer in the Episcopal Church. But what we want to do is dive into this whole concept of prayer and really want to help people understand this deep tradition, I think, as you and I have talked about uh, offline, really, uh, about the larger context of prayer as being a part of human history, really. I mean, gosh, we can think about in our Christian lineage, if you will, if you go back to Judaism, you have uh, deep connections with prayer. Go back to Genesis. Uh, you can go back to Abraham, who stops at different points along his journey and prays. Um, Noah and the flood. Noah stops and prays at different points and gives thanks to God. And of course, if you leave Judaism and Christianity and venture out into other world religions of today and world religions of before, prayer was a big part of people's understanding of this larger context of life and, and some kind of God or gods and our relationship to those, those beings. So prayer is definitely not a, a thing. I think that is um, something that's foreign to most people, but it is, I think very unique in, in our context. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely one of the things that we have in common with other faiths is that we all have some way of having a connection to to god very much so very much so i esther shazan says that um prayer in any form is communication directed at god and when 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 shazan wrote this uh, it was not just in the context of of Jewish and Christ, or Judeo-Christian prayer, it was in the context of all these religious views of prayer. That if you go to any religion, old or former or current, there is a deep connection between people talking to God, and that's what prayer is. It's this connection to God or gods. But generally, even in, in traditions where there's multiple gods, it's prayer to a God usually, not to multiple mm-hmm. at a time. Yep. So, yeah, well, I think that's an interesting point about, you know, not even just praying to multiple gods, but just to to one God is, you know, just kind of um, confirms the point that the that prayer is about relationship. You know, you don't have um, sort of relationships generally, you have relationships in particular. And so, you know, for Christians, then that relationship is. Um, is with God through Jesus Christ. And in fact, our prayer book um, recognizes that in our outline of the faith, you know, it, it, um, when we, when it asks the question, what is prayer? Um, you know, the answer is, uh, you know, it prayer is, is, um, you know, that which helps us uh, direct ourselves to God, but it's that, you know, like, um, like you were saying, it's communication directed at God um, either with or without words, um, and also through our deeds. But then Christian prayer is, is all of that only with the help of, of Jesus, you know, of, of Jesus as our mediator. Um, so I think 
you know, it's important to say too, some of the things that are a little bit different about how Christians pray than, than how other people pray and what is unique about the, the Christian act of prayer. Yeah. And I think to understand some of our, our Christian prayer, you go back to our Jewish roots. Um, and Flavius Josephus um, talks about in daily prayer that Thanksgiving is one of the most important things that we can do in daily prayer, and particularly in the Jewish life. So Flavius Josephus was writing in the first century uh, CE and um, was a really, I mean, if we're honest, was a strong critic of this early Christian movement, uh, was definitely a, a proud Jew and was not sure about this whole we'll call it the Jesus movement for the lack of a better description of it. And, uh, but, but he also gives us a lot, it gives us a window into Jewish prayer life, Jewish ritual life, Jewish life in general. And, um, and of course, if we're going to be honest about the development of Christian prayer, you can't throw out the Jewish roots and history. And that's where he comes in handy. So he talks about Thanksgiving because we want to, we want to receive. So what he says is to incite the recipient of the Thanksgiving to bestow further benefits in the future. And that, that comes from, um, uh, antiquities of the Jews, uh, which is a good, one of his largest works. And I think what's important to me when I read that and what I look at when I think about the prayer book, or I think about current Christian prayer is that if you were to go into the prayer book, into the daily office, Thanksgiving language is very prevalent in daily mm-hmm. prayer for, mm-hmm. for most liturgical traditions, but particularly in our book of common prayer, you're going to stop at different points in the way the the prayers are written in the book. And you're going to notice that you're giving thanks. You're not just giving thanks for God who created you, but you're giving thanks for each other. You're giving thanks for this common life. And you're also going to pause and pray for God to intercede uh, at different mo- moments too. And what we, at least during the Eucharist call, the uh, prayers of the people where we stop and pray for not just ourselves, but for the world, our community, and just kind of gets bigger. We start in these big spheres and we focus prayers around all aspects of life. And that was something that was common long before Jesus walked the earth. There was this moment or this time in, in, in the Jewish prayer life that every Jew during the day would stop and give thanks, not just for uh, Yahweh, but for the whole, we'll call it the cosmos, everything that, that was interacting, giving thanks. And, and that, I think what Josephus will go on to say is how you acknowledge that you're part of this bigger, this bigger thing than yourself. When you can stop and start to give thanks, you realize you're connected and you're interdependent on so many different things uh, in life that God has bestowed upon you. It's very interesting. And then Clement of Alexandria now, again, in the uh, a little bit later, well, re- almost contemporary to Josephus, a little bit later, um, he tells us we should ask for what's good of what, what is good for our soul. Uh, so again, so you stop and you give thanks, but then it's okay to ask for things that might be good for your soul, mm-hmm. which I think goes into a little bit of that Eastern tradition that you and I were talking about earlier. Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh well, there's sort of an interesting point underlying this is that um, how we pray has a lot to do with our perspective. And so, you know, much of the practice of prayer then is about shaping our perspective in a very certain way. And so if we think about Thanksgiving as a perspective or as a disposition, then we, 
you know, we pray for the things that we're thankful for. But in doing that regularly, we also learn to be thankful for the things that are around us. You know, like it, it shapes our whole disposition toward and our outlook on life um, because of the way that we pray. And then, you know, and then that, that has a kind of reciprocal, um, you know, uh, effect on us. Like it, it, uh, we keep going with it, you know, exactly. I guess going back to one of the things that we, we highlighted, uh, in our last episode, uh, is that we, you know, praying shapes, believing, uh, that how we pray really does shape us, tells us what we believe, but it also reinforces, um, reinforces the whole understanding of it. You know, and I had one, I had a seminary professor tell me one time we were talking about uh, Orthodox Christianity. Uh, so what we would we'll, we'll term the East, East side of things uh, versus the West side. So the East side versus the West side. Um, and he talked about prayer as a, as a discipline, something you practice, just like if you go to the gym and you, um, you lift weights to get stronger, you, you engage in prayer and the practice of prayer, whatever it looks like every day mm-hmm. to move beyond yourself and to strengthen that kind of discipline to enhance and focus that discipline. And I think that's a, that's a good segue for us because we've talked a lot about this larger sense of prayer. And of course, we could go on and on about that. But what I would love for us to talk about is what are kinds of prayer? What is that? What is actual prayer? What are mm-hmm. some ways we do it? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. There's so many different ways of of talking about prayer, and you know, as as I mentioned, um, our our prayer book states um, that it is this response to God by thought and by deed, with or without words. So that's pretty expansive. You know, we have some particular kinds of prayers that we are familiar with, but you know, but also sitting in silence and and trying to, you know, clear your mind to be with God is also a form of prayer. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, something yeah. that was that particular kind of prayer, or, or there's kind of two that really permeate for me in the early church that are that have some kind of basis for a lot of our different prayer types today. And that is what, what you just described, which I call centering prayer, mm-hmm. the intentional sitting in stillness and silence and, and, and really trying to focus and connect with God in a very direct way. It's very, it's a very powerful thing. And that is a very common thing that happens in the desert tradition in the early church is going mm-hmm. away and they go away not to isolate themselves from people. Cause of course, all these folks follow them out into the desert. These kind of um, religious leaders, these church mothers and fathers, are, they end up with communities out in the desert, but they go away and we go center ourselves so they can work on something. And what better thing to work on than your prayer life and your connection to God. Uh, and the other thing are the, re- what we call repetitive prayers. Uh, and there's a better word to describe that, but uh, for Catholics, it's the rosary mm-hmm. uh, for Orthodox Christians it's the Jesus prayer for Episcopalians. Mm-hmm. It could be the rosary it could be the Jesus prayer. It could be the Trisagion in the prayer book. It could be mm-hmm. uh, a number of different things that we repeat over and over again. And those repetitive prayers start to train our mind to kind of not ignore the thoughts, but to start to center. Again, it's, it's a very similar to centering prayer, but to center our whatever's on our minds, whatever we're struggling with in God. 
So some might say you're handing it over to God and you're giving it a different focus and perspective. Uh, and those two types of prayer started very early in the Christian tradition, very rep- the repetitive prayers and centering prayer. And I think those inform all the different kinds we pray today, all the different ways that we pray today, from thanks to wow, to help me, to the arrow prayers, to the intercessions. They all have some foundation in one of those two kind of moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and going back to the the desert fathers uh, and mothers, they, I think that's it, they have such an interesting story about about praying and learning how to pray. Because sometimes we think, or at least I've had this thought before, of like, oh man, it would be so much easier to pray if I didn't have you know a shopping list going on in my head, if I didn't have to think about getting kids to and from school and activities and stuff, if I didn't have to make dinner, if I didn't need to write a sermon, if I didn't need to do all of these different things, then I would be free of distraction. Then I would really be able to pray well. Um, But, you know, we look at these desert mothers and fathers who had nothing. They had a cell in, you know, in a cave in the desert. um, And, you know, really we think, well, they should have nothing distracting them and yet they were constantly beset by distraction, um, distraction of all different kinds of things. So we, you know, I think that's like a, a kind of humbling reminder for us that, um, that the things that we fixate on are the things that we allow to be our distraction. And that, you know, part of prayer is that practice of, of just, reducing those distractions for a little while so that we can be with God. Um, and knowing too, that like, we're not alone in this, that literally everybody who has tried to pray has had this experience of, of being distracted. And in fact, you know, we see that in other traditions too, in the Buddhist tradition, um, where, you know, prayer is like, is, is meditation, they talk about it as monkey mind or monkey brain, you know, that your thoughts jump from branch to branch. And that's such a good image too, because man, that's definitely how my brain works. I'd sit down in a quiet spot and then immediately it's like six different things rear their head to, to take my attention um, toward them rather than um, uniting me to God in that moment. And, um, you know, you can sit there and spend your whole time just fighting the distraction instead of directing yourself to God. But I think, too, it's a practice. It's not something that we, you know, get right and then we're good for the rest of our lives. It's something that we are constantly pursuing um, amidst all of that distraction. Yeah, I think uh, when you when you what you're describing to me is really important uh, way to kind of maybe tie everything together. This larger conversation we had about prayer and different types of prayer, and that is the reordering of things in our minds when we when we devote ourselves to prayer, when we engage in prayer, we start to mm-hmm. reorder things. So, you know, Maximus the Confessor in his centuries on the and his four four hundred text on theology or four centuries on theology talks about the fact that. Don't worry about clearing your mind when you enter into prayer. Just take each thought and let it permeate there with God. Slow it down. Because all mm-hmm. of us have that, what you just described, the six things, or for me with 
toddlers at home and a little newborn baby, there's about 50 different things running through my mind, even (laughs) as we're recording this podcast. Uh And it's a manner of, in my daily prayers of pausing each thought and saying, okay, where is this in the grand scheme of things? In kind of my understanding of faith, God, this conversation we're having. And that helps. It doesn't necessarily going to make, you know, if I need to go to the store and get milk, it's not going to make the milk appear in my refrigerator. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'll relax a little bit if that's really stressing me out or, or if there's something more important going on in life, if I'm waiting for a medical test or a test results, I can pause on that and just acknowledge that that's, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about that or I'm excited about that or I'm whatever, but let it pause in that, in that moment of prayer and kind of reorder things a little bit. And kind of, again, find my place in this larger cosmos. And that's kind of what Maximus talks about is it's not that your thoughts are bad or the things or your distractions are bad. For him, every distraction is an opportunity to grow closer to God. And prayer is the way you do that because you order things mm-hmm. in that time and space when you're praying. When you stop to pray, you get a chance to reorder your thoughts and feelings and kind of center them. Uh, and I think there's a lot of power in that. And I, in one way, that's, I think, a powerful way to look at prayer uh, and understand prayer. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that you, that you said made me think, you know, prayer isn't, I think we can, we can say things that are maybe a bit misleading about, about prayer. Um, You know, even in this kind of conversation where we're talking about, um, you know, getting out of our thoughts to be united with God as though we need to in prayer escape this world somehow in order to be close to God. But that's not actually what we believe. Um, we, we believe that God came into this world in fact, and, and that there's real dignity in this human experience in this human existence. Um, certainly the incarnation confirms that, um, because, you know, God became man uh, in order to raise us up to that, you know, to the divinity. And so we don't need to escape this world. Like prayer isn't to help us escape this world, um, but it can help us to find God in this world. So like you were saying about, you know, sitting and being stressed out about, you know, you got to go to the grocery store and get milk. Maybe, maybe instead of rejecting this, you know, this idea as like a worldly notion or something, you know, like I'm so distracted with what I've got to do to, you know, take care of my family that I can't be with God instead to see that God is actually in that, you know, that God is, is part of your relationship with your family and your duties to your family and all of these things that like this milk on your shopping list right now represents. Um, So prayer can help us not escape the world but to find God in the world. And we don't need to escape the world. We have God here with us. Exactly. Some good old St. Athanasius reminds us of that. God mm-hmm. became God became man so man could become God-like. Right. So that begs the question, is there anything that's off limits that we can't pray for? Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. I think, I think we kind of all wonder this question. You know, like I hear people ask it in a bunch of different ways. Um, And I think we're all just a little bit afraid that we might get it wrong when we when we start to pray, especially like when we pray our own words instead of the words that are printed in you know, in the prayer book. Like there's some 
amount of safety in the prayer book where you're like, I can't get it wrong if I just say the words that are already written here. But once we start, you know, praying, uh, you know, using sort of the text of our own lives, that becomes a real question. You know, what, is there anything off limits? Um, I don't think there is. No, I don't think there is. I think, I think you, you just bask in it. You just bask in that moment. I mean, usually the thing I hear the most as a priest is I don't want to pray for so-and-so. And usually it's a quote unquote enemy or somebody they completely mm-hmm. disagree with or somebody who's offended them or hurt them. Mm-hmm. And of course the prayer book invites us to do that. Pray for our enemies. That's something we do on, I believe it's Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Uh, well, I think we, where we we're always praying for our enemies actually. And we're certainly told, you know, um, pray for our enemies and for those who persecute you. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus tells us we're supposed to pray for our enemies. Yeah. Um, so certainly we are. Although I don't think we're supposed to pray that bad things happen to them. Like, I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, pray for your enemies. Well, see, that's <laughs> where I think you get in this line. So Josephus talks about this. This is where you get into that really terrible, there's this thin line between a prayer or a blessing. Because blessings and prayers, at least in Judaism, were very closely linked. A blessing mm-hmm. and a prayer. Oh, to us, if we read the blessings of the, like if you go to Genesis again, talking about, I talked about Abraham a minute ago, and Abraham passes his blessing on, and you watch that go down Abraham's line, the blessing was what we would call a prayer. If you read the words in the text, it's prayer. It's very liturgical. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there's the blessing and then there's curses. Yeah. And for Josephus, those are not one and the same. Mm-hmm. Curses is not the same as prayer or blessing. Yeah. Even in Judaism, they're very different. To curse somebody is to really step outside. And Josephus will allude to this, although being a Pharisaic in nature, he doesn't totally like to give up his power on cursing. He'll skirt the line of basically saying you really shouldn't do that unless it's an extreme circumstance. Uh, One might say the closest Christian metaphor I can come up with in my mind is you don't use excommunication unless it's severe. Yeah. I mean, it has to be severe, 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 severe. So I don't know if I agree with you. So all that to say is I don't think the tradition supports praying for bad things to happen. I don't think that, in fact, is a prayer. That is a curse. Yeah, that is something that's ingrained in our selfish desire to see somebody else hurt because we're hurting, usually because of them. Yeah, or but we feel I think we're hurting. There, I think there is an acknowledgement in Scripture and in our in in our prayers uh, in our prayer book that we're hurt by other people and we feel, you know, anger, resentment. Um, feelings of retribution. Certainly, you know, one of the, one of the real cores of, of our tradition of prayer that comes through, through Judaism are the Psalms, you know, and we have Psalms in there that are, you know, praying that our enemies would be vanquished and, you know, praying that, that God would, would, you know, smite the wicked and, of course, when we say that we're never the, the wicked and we're never anybody's enemy, um, you know, we have a, a psalm that prays that, um, you know, like the the children of our enemies would even be destroyed, like little babies. I mean, that's pretty harsh. Um, and I well, think then- that's, you know, we don't make that our prayer, but we do make it the acknowledgement of our 
of our sinfulness, um, of our mm-hmm. need for God in our lives, that we have such painful thoughts. And then walks Jesus. And then enters Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that all that changes so dramatically. You have the what you just described from the Old Testament, uh, terrible images at times. And then you have Jesus who says, all right, let's turn the other cheek. And we wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. And then he teaches us a prayer that seems very uh, general in a way, very open, not as specific as sometimes we like to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he reminds us that he's walking with us nonetheless. And there's some power in that. There's some beauty in that, that he has been where we have been. So I have to imagine that when it comes to prayer, other aspects of our faith, that if we believe in the incarnation, that Jesus truly was man, that Jesus was probably angry. Jesus was probably, well, we know he was sad. Mm -hmm. He was happy. He had the same emotions and the same struggles we did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that we have to, from an incarnational standpoint, remember that. And then when we enter into our prayers that I bet there was times when Jesus retreated to pray, as we heard. And he might have been grumpy and he yeah. might have been ticked off and he may have been yeah. fed up with somebody. And, yeah, and that's well, okay. I, I think that's a, an interesting thing too, because, you know, going back to the Psalms and connecting that with Jesus, we know that Jesus prayed the Psalms. And so one of the things that I think is really powerful about praying the Psalms for ourselves is that we are using the same words that Jesus used to be in relationship with God. And that's very powerful. You know, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, this, this act of theosis. And so we didn't really like unpack that at all, but maybe you can say a little bit more about what theosis is, because I think that's connected to why we would want to pray like Jesus prays. Well, that's a hard, that's a hard word for us to unpack. Um, I would put it, I, I would do it this way. I would think of theosis this way, that I think Jesus models for us um, a very centralized, per, I hate to use the word perfect, but I mean, I think that's important that Jesus, as we say, was tempted mm-hmm. in every way as we are, yet did not sin. Yeah. Entered into, a, shows us a, kind of the perfect example of a human God divine relationship. Mm-hmm. And we we model our lives off what Jesus shows us to the best of our ability. I think acknowledging that we're not perfect, that I, Justin Yon, am not Jesus, and Bryn Bond is not Jesus. But we use that as a model. That's how kind of how I like to think about theosis without getting into the technical jargon of theosis and unpacking it. But we have a model in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can use that model to help enliven and deepen our spirituality and our faith. So we, we look at the way Jesus prayed. We look at the way Jesus lived his life. And we start to try to, to learn and glean from it what we can do. Um, and that, to me, is really at the core of theosis without, again, getting into all the technical stuff. Because, uh, of course, you can go on and on. I mean, we can start quoting church fathers about theosis and really make this thing complicated. But for me, it boils down to the mere fact of how do we understand Jesus's life and what does that mean for us? And I think the answer to the question for me is Jesus was human. I'm human. Jesus modeled some behaviors and acts that I also need to, to learn from. And he reminds me through the relationship with the disciples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I well, think I'm- you should give us 
as we wrap up here, Bryn, you should give us what's the final thought on prayer. What's our what's our what's our final thought of this of this episode? What's the takeaway f- for you? I think the takeaway of it is I think it has something to do with the fact that prayer is just that which unites us to God and that being united with God is is the end of all things. It is the purpose of our being, you know, if we talk about theosis, theosis is essentially our own sanctification, becoming holy, be becoming um, able to be united with God, which we can't do without, without you, you know, we have to participate in uniting ourselves with God. And so prayer just broadly is, is that, act that repetition that practice of of uniting ourselves um to god and as we get further into this series we're going to look at more specific um kinds of prayer you know we're going to look at the confession as a kind of prayer of of repentance we're going to look at the the eucharistic prayer which is the great thanksgiving um you know we'll 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 look at the great litany and we'll talk about prayers of petition and intercession. So we're going to have an opportunity to, to get more granular with this and to really look at what are, what are the many different ways that we pray. But I, I hope what we've been able to, to capture just in this brief conversation is that there are many ways to be united with God and that prayer is, is ultimately about that unification. I think we did. Well, I enjoyed it. And yeah. I think we will see everybody next time as we uh, dive into common prayer and the awesome. history of common prayer from Judaism all the way through monasticism to your family room. So we'll see you next time.